Well, hey, Valley, and greetings. Pastor Mike here. I'm so excited to be with you digitally, even though I'm not with you physically. And I'll tell you some of that story in just a moment. But uh, I, I imagine you're standing right now as we finished one, one of our songs in worship. If you're not standing, will you stand? And let's begin with a reading of the Word of God. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the very end of chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I want you to stand with me now and and let's listen to God's word. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Well, thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. And, and as you sit down, let me just explain kind of why I'm not with you in person today. This last week, I was potentially exposed to COVID. Over the course of this past week, I've actually, I've taken three separate tests and all of them have come back negative. And so I'm, I'm really kind of um, confident that, that I am not exposed. But we just thought because that w- there was a potential that I would, uh, I would not be there in person but uh, I still wanted to teach this week's passage. I still wanted to share with you from the Word of God. And so today I'm just going to do it uh, from a distance digitally. Now that said, today's passage that we just read, this is actually the second prayer that the Apostle Paul has written in his letter to the Thessalonians. And the first one was at the very beginning in chapter 1. And the last one is going to be, going to be at the end of chapter 5. And so this prayer, it actually marks the key transition point in our letter. This prayer marks the the moment where Paul stops talking about his history with those in Thessalonica, his history with those new believers. He's going to pray now, and then he's going to start to encourage them toward their future. And so this is a key moment for us, and and this is a a moment that I want to I want to set up for you by actually telling you about a little bit of my experience moving to Longview. The the day that we're filming this, actually three years ago today, uh, I packed up a U-Haul and and our family, we actually, we made our move to Longview. Now I'd been serving at Valley for a number of months before that, but the school year had ended and we were ready to make the move. And so we moved to Longview and when we did, I had, uh, I had to learn how to navigate the different roads and the different streets around, around the area. And I learned really quickly that there are multiple different ways to get from point A to point B in Longview and in Cowlitz County. I would be driving and I would have to make decisions. Am I going to drive over a hill or, or around a hill? Am I going to go a, near the lake or am I going to go around, uh, around town? Am I going to go through the triangle or what bridge should I take to get over to Kelso? These were the kind of, I guess, decisions that I had to, I had to sort through and I had to figure out. And, uh, and I loved it when I had someone in the car with me who, who is a Longview or a Cowlitz County native. If I had Andrew or Stephen or, or sometimes even driving around with like Mario or someone like that, and I would say, hey, how do you usually get to this location from where we are right now? And they would, they would tell me their route. They would tell me their plan. They would show me their path. 
And I began to learn kind of the insider tricks of, of getting around the town and getting around the county and figuring out how to get from point A to point B. And I would learn the best trips to stay on track by, by following the plan of a friend. And, and that, that's actually what we're going to learn in today's passage Today, as we open up this text, what I want us to learn together today about prayer is that your best prayer, your best prayer, it is on track with God's plans. In the same way that I would have someone driving with me and they would have plans how to get from point A to point B. And if I listen to their plans because they know the area, then my best trip would work out really well. I want you to learn about your prayer life today. I want you to grow in your ability to pray effectively. I mean, how do you feel about your prayer life these days? It's kind of an old preacher joke, but if you want someone to feel guilty, usually in church, the first thing you have to do is, is you just start asking them about their prayer life. Because all of us, we, we feel some sense of guilt because all of us wish that we prayed more. Even the, the, the strongest prayer warriors, they they would love to be praying even more. How, how do you feel about your prayer life? Do you, do you feel like you are praying for the right things? Do you pr feel like that you are praying in a way that, that is effective? See, today we're going to see how to get you on track with your prayer life. Now, to do this, we're, we're simply going to look at these, these, this short text, verses 11 through 13. And we're going to look at the two categories that Paul asks God regarding. We're going to look at these two categories and we're going we're to learn from them what on-track prayer looks like. And so that said, if you haven't already opened up your scripture to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, would you do that? And let's pick up right there in verse 11. And here is the first kind of prayer that we see gets us on track. Here's what it is. On track prayer asks for God's sovereign way. On track prayer, when we pray in a way that is on track, we, we ask God for his sovereign way. Now, it's been a while since we've used that word sovereign. When we say sovereign, we're talking about the, the supreme authority. We're talking about the one who has the ultimate power and the ultimate authority. And so when we say we, we pray and we ask God for his sovereign way, we are recognizing that when we pray, we are going before God in his way. His, what he says, what he does, that ultimately, it is the best way. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Here's Paul's transition. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Now, notice those words. Now may. Here's Paul's indicator that he is, he is now writing a prayer. In this prayer, he, he recognizes something. The, the, the approach to God in prayer recognizes, first of all, that if anything Paul wants is going to happen, it's dependent on God's power. This means that everything in Paul's life is ultimately dependent upon God. This kind of prayer, when we go before the sovereign God, it recognizes, first of all, that God is absolutely powerful and that we are absolutely 
dependent. In this prayer, I want you to see this is how Paul addresses God. And, and as he goes before God, we see, we see the basis of Paul's prayer. It's actually, it's in God's identity. See, God's way, God's way, if we're going to ask God for his sovereign way, God's way, it's actually based on his identity. And I would even add, it's based on his identity as, as the triune God. If you remember back in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, the, the week we preached on that, we, just, we went through and we listed all the references to God the Father, and all the references to God the Son, and all the references to God the Spirit. This letter, it begins with this high view of God as the triune God, as the God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so now, we shouldn't be surprised, but when Paul addresses God, when Paul prays, Paul actually prays to the first two members of the triune God. Paul recognizes God's very identity as triune. He doesn't mention the spirit here, but it's implicit based on chapter 1. But he recognizes our prayer. It's based on God's identity. First of all, it's based on God's identity as God the Father. It says, and now may our God and Father himself. This is the first member of the triune God. He, he is fully God. He, he, he is God the Father. This is God who, who we hear in the Old Testament as, as Elohim. This is, this is the one that sends the Son. Paul addresses his prayer to God the Father himself. And then secondly, with the same breath, he also prays to God the Son. He says, Jesus the Lord. He says, and our Lord Jesus this is the second person of the triune God who Paul approaches. Paul, in his prayer, he says, Now may God our Father himself and the Lord Jesus. Now here Paul doesn't mention the Holy Spirit, but it's implied. The Holy Spirit is the helper. We see that in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-6 through 6 in particular. It talks about the Spirit's role it, it, briefly in our lives. But, but here's what I want you to recognize in this moment. That Paul prays to the Father and Son in the same breath, recognizing their complete unity. Both fully God. Both are, are divine. And he goes and he says, now may God our Father himself and the Lord Jesus. See, the basis of this prayer, the basis of God's way, it's actually, it's God's very identity. This is how this is how we approach God. We approach God because of his identity as, as our father. We approach God as, in his identity as Jesus, the son, who is our Lord and, and who is our savior. See, all of our prayer, we actually go to God confidently in prayer because Jesus is, has died and been buried and been resurrected. And so because of that, now we actually call God father as we approach him with confidence this is the basis for God's way, God's very identity. But, but God's way, I want you to see in the full context of this letter, God's way, it, it, it's not just based in God's identity. It also recognizes Satan's evil schemes. See, Paul writes these words. He says, may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus, he says, may he direct our ways to you. 
But if you remember in chapter 2, verses, or verse 18, Paul says that up to this point, his way has not been directed to those, those friends in Thessalonica. In fact, up to this point, if you read verse 18 of chapter 2, Paul says, he says, I, Paul, again and again, he says, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. This is an incredible kind of juxtaposition here. When we recognize that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, and so when we go to God and we ask for his sovereign way, we go to him with confidence before the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and yet we do it in a way that recognizes that Satan is scheming against us. That Satan had hindered, had prevented, had stopped Paul from going back to those in Thessalonica. And we recognize this in our prayer life as well. We say, God, uh, I understand your will in certain ways because I read the scripture, and yet there's times when it's, uh, it seems like life is not working out the way I think it should as I read your word. God's way recognizes Satan's schemes. And so we've got God's will as the sovereign God. We've got Satan and his scheming. But, but look, God's way, it also, it welcomes our sincere request. You see, you have God. You have the enemy. But then we're included in this as well. I say it welcomes our sincere request because that's exactly what you see in Paul's request before God the Father himself and the Lord Jesus. He says, and now may God the Father himself and the Lord Jesus, he says this, direct our ways or our way to you. Chapter 3, verse 10, just a few, actually just the previous verse, Paul describes, he says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. You see, God can direct Paul's way. God is the only one who can make Paul's path straight. That's what Paul's praying for. So Paul goes before God with, with a sincere, genuine, verse 10, with an earnest request Paul goes before God seeing that God is sovereign, seeing that Satan is scheming, and also seeing that he as a man has a sincere request and a real need. This is how our prayer begins. On track prayer, it asks for God's way. And I want you to see that on track prayer, it asks for God's way in a swirling cauldron of, of maybe even confusion. You've got God's sovereign hand. You've got Satan scheming. And then you even have the desires of your own heart. In this instant, Paul, he, he desired to see his, his fellow believers in Thessalonica. And yet in all of this, what we do if we want an on-track kind of prayer life is, is we go before the Father. And we say, I, I recognize Satan is scheming. I, I know that you are sovereign. And yet in all of that, here are the desires of my heart. Now that's where on-track prayer begins. On-track prayer, it asks for God's sovereign way. But, but Paul continues here. 
Verse 12 and verse 13, it builds on this. And as it does, we see that it doesn't just ask for God's sovereign way. But secondly, we see that on track prayer, it asks for God's sanctifying work. See, on track prayer, it asks for God's sanctifying work. When we talk about this word sanctifying, it's another kind of big word to talk about. We, we, we looked at that word sovereign a moment ago. When Paul, he went to God and he said, and now may God, is recognizing God's sovereign hand. God has the power behind it. But now we look at God in his sanctifying work. You know, the word sanctify simply means to make holy. The Bible, it uses the word in a number of ways, speaking about New Testament believers, those who are in Christ. The, The Bible actually talks about how those in Christ, they are positionally sanctified. This means that you are now in the heavenly places. And when God looks at you, he looks at you as someone who is holy because you are in Christ. You have been covered with the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see any spot or any blemish. He doesn't see any of your sin. You have been made holy. And this is your positional sanctification. Now we, we, we hear that and we say, yeah, but I'm not. Just look at my life. Look at, uh, look at how often I mess up. Look at the kind of thoughts that I have from time to time. Look at the kind of words that come out of my mouth from time to time. Look at the things that I do that do not please God, that are sinful. We say, I, I, I recognize God looks at me as holy, but I, I sure don't feel holy. This is the second kind of sanctification. Not only is there positional sanctification, but then there's also what's called progressive sanctification. This is that that trajectory, little by little, is every day and every week and every month and every year, you you become a little bit more like Christ. You you stop acting out of anger and you start acting more and more often out of love. Your your greed diminishes as your generosity increases. Your gentleness grows instead of your harshness. This is that that progressive sanctification that God's Spirit is at work in the life of every believer. So you have your positional sanctification, and then you have progressive sanctification as you're on this trajectory, and then you have what the Bible calls your perfected sanctification. This is the, the final result when you, when you, your progressive sanctification matches with your positional sanctification on that glorious day when you stand before your Savior in heaven. This is when you are not only viewed as pure by the Father, not only your position is pure, but now your everyday life, it matches that. You are holy. And so, so we see we see this idea of sanctification in verses 12 and 13 where we see that on-track prayer, it asks for God's sanctifying work. Paul's prayer here, and our prayer, is one that asks for increased holiness. Let me show you in the text here. Verses 12 and 13. It says, And may, same idea, and may the Lord make you increase and abound abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he, God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus 
with all his saints. You see, this is, this is a prayer that is a prayer for God's sanctifying work. This is a prayer. Paul is praying that God would, would be working in the lives of the believers in Thessalonica, making them ultimately become more like Jesus. And, and in this prayer, there are two specific ways that Paul prays asking God to work in their lives. Let's look at these. The first is God's work increasing your love. God's work increasing your love. Verse 12 again. It says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul prays for God's work, for God's powerful work in their lives to make them more Loving. To, to make them more loving. This is, this is one of the chief aims of the Heavenly Father as he works in the lives of his children. One of God's greatest goals in your life is to make you more loving. To increase your, your care for, and your consideration of others. This is his desire. His, his, the word love here is the idea of, of caring concern. And he uses two words, two verbs to intensify this love. You notice those two words here? The first word is increase, and the second word is abound. When, when we say increase here, this means to enlarge, to make it bigger. God, God, God please make our love bigger. It's, it's like taking a balloon and blowing into it. And it starts small and blowing and blowing and blowing. And it's meant to be this, this ever-expanding, enlarging balloon that just keeps getting larger and larger. This is the idea of your love increasing. But the second word he uses is to abound. This means to overflow. He says, not only should your love capacity get bigger, but no matter how big it gets, I want that love capacity, I want it to be filled to the brim and then overflowing so that everyone around you, they're impacted by this love. This is what Paul prays for those in Thessalonica. And this is how we learn to pray in the same way. We, we pray for God's sanctifying work in the way we love. By using these two words that are very similar to one another, Paul is, he's emphatically combining them and he's making a, a clear point that our prayer, or, or that our lives more specifically, they should be marked by increasing love. By increasing love. This is, this is the pattern of the scripture this is, this is the life of Christ. We, we think about the Old Testament scriptures and the Ten Commandments. We, we spend a number of weeks talking about how these are the, the law of love. The, the commandments, they point us to our need for a Savior, but then as we're in Christ and we're no longer trying to earn anything, but we've been given freedom and free salvation in Christ, we, we love God and we love others. By following these, com these commandments. The, the scripture describes God himself. He says, God is love. 
Jesus talks about his love. He says, there's no greater love than when a man lays down his life for his friend. This is, this is God's objective for your life. If you are in Christ, that you would be increasing, enlarging your ability and then your expression of love. And, and Paul even describes it even further. He, he describes the love, first of all, as love for one another. That's the word he uses, for one another. This, is, this could be one of two things. This could be simply Christian love, or it could be love for the believers in the local church in Thessalonica. He could be saying, I want you to love each other in that specific church, in that specific time. Or you could be saying, I want you as believers, one another believers, to love each other. Love for one another. And then he says this. He says, Love for all. He says, for one another and for all. Now again, this could mean one of two things. This could be a love for all people regardless of whether or not they're in the faith. This would, this would be an accurate understanding because Jesus tells us things like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so this would be in obedience to Jesus' words. Or it could mean if the first means love for one another in Thessalonica. The second could be love for all, as in all believers. There's some, some room to interpret it, but either way there, we see that this is a love that is increasing for more and more people. But, but then he kind of takes a sharp turn with the last little condition here, or the last little phrase. He says, as we do for you. See, we should be increasing in our love for one another. We should be increasing in our love for all. But lastly, it says we should be increasing in our love from others. Paul says, I, I want you to increase in your love for each other even as you experience the love that we have for you. You, you ever find that it's really easy to to be the one loving or to be the one serving, but it's really difficult to be the one accepting that love or receiving that service. I think sometimes we have a kind of a false humility in the church where we, we tend to say, I, I want to be the one giving. I want to be the one pouring out. I want to be the one doing this stuff. And, and we almost feel offended when, when people approach us with service or people approach us with love. But, but in a very small but significant way here, Paul just reminds us this love is mutual. You're not meant to be a Christian that's only pouring out, but instead you're meant to be a Christian that is mutually receiving the concerned care of others as you're showing the concerned care to them. See, see, God's work, it increases your love. God's sanctifying work is a work that makes you more loving, but, but along with that, God's love, or I mean God's work, it also establishes you blameless. Verse 13 says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This word establish, this is the same word that we saw in chapter 3, verse 2, when it was the idea of strengthen. 
Chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith. This is Paul sent Timothy to make firm their faith. And now Paul is praying that God would make firm, blameless hearts in their lives. But Paul does not only pray for God's work to increase the believer's love, but really, he's, he's asking God to solidify the foundation of holiness, of purity, of a blameless heart in the lives of those in Thessalonica. The, the image uh, is a blameless heart, and, and it has three descriptors with it. Follow along with me. First of all, it's a blameless heart in holiness. Holiness is, is the same idea as, as being a sanctified person. The, the word for saint and the word for holy have the same root word. It's that you are pure, you're set apart as pure for God's purpose. This is how Paul prays for those in Thessalonica. He says, I am praying that God would solidify your heart as pure for God's purpose. But let's just... Let's just put our finger there. We'll come back to that in a minute. The next then is, is a description that it's that their hearts, they have a blameless heart before the Father. This is the idea of, of in the very presence of God the Father. This is this is a a confidence to walk in holiness before the Father. I mean, you and I, we've been there before. Where we know we're in sin. And because we've done something wrong, because we're not, you know, we're not walking the holy life that we're meant to, it's like we, we walk with a lack of confidence before the Father. We know He loves us. We know He accepts us. We know that we can go to Him in our sin and, and find renewal and find hope that His forgiveness has already been granted. But, but, but there are times in our lives where we, we kind of hide from that. We forget that we are always in the very presence of God, that he is, he is omnipresent, omnipresent. And so this blameless heart before the Father, it's, it's a confidence. A confidence as you walk in holiness, not by your own strength, but by the Spirit's work in your life, empowering you to live a holy life. And as you live that life of holiness, as you turn away from sin, as you encourage others, as you live the life you're called to, you, you end up standing up a little straighter. You, you don't have this arrogance, but it's, but it's a confidence that rests solely on the finished work of Christ and the continued work of the Spirit in your life that gives you a confidence to boldly do whatever it is that God has called you to do. This is what Paul is praying for. That they would have a blameless heart before the Father. And then the third, the third qualifier here is a blameless heart at Jesus' return. And it's not just Jesus' return. It's Jesus' return with all the saints. 
And when we get to chapter four, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about this. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna labor the 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 reality of Jesus's imminent return at this moment right now. But but here's what I am going to say. One of Paul's one of Paul's driving prayers as he prays for God's sanctifying work in the lives of the Thessalonians is that when Jesus returned, he would find those believers with blameless hearts. When Jesus comes on the crowd, on the clouds, with a crowd of saints following with him, the, the prayer is when he comes and stands before believers on earth right now. They're not shrinking back, as other texts say. They're not cowering. They're running to him with hearts that are blameless because they know they've been washed by Christ and they know that they are walking in holiness. This is Paul's prayer. This is Paul's prayer. Now I want you to see something. I want you to see that Paul prays for them to increase in love and Paul prays for their holiness. I want you to understand something right now. That, that love and holiness, they are completely interconnected. Someone who is a loving person, based on a biblical definition, if you are loving, that means you will be walking in holiness. There's no saying I'm going to be a loving person and then walking in whatever kind of sin or approving whatever kind of sin that others walk in. That, that is not love and that is not true holiness. The flip side of that is true then as well. You can't say that you're a holy person and, and live a life without concern or love of those around you. The two are interconnected. They are bound together in, in a beautifully inseparable way, love and holiness. See, see this, is, this is incredible. This is, this is how Paul prays. And, and this is what we learn today. We learn that our best prayer is on track with God's plan. Because what is God's plan? God's plan is, first of all, that he will accomplish his sovereign way or his sovereign will. That God will accomplish everything he sets out to do. That there is no stopping the sovereign God who has supreme power and supreme authority. So what we do as we eavesdrop on Paul praying is we learn that our best prayers they are prayers that are built on God's sovereign way. But secondly, secondly, we, we pray, we, in our, our prayer, they based on God's sanctifying work. When Paul prays for those in Thessalonica, he, he prays for them to abound and increase in love and for their hearts to be blameless. This is one of the best ways you and I can pray for each other. That we pray for, we pray for our children. That they would abound in love and their hearts would be blameless in holiness. We pray for each other. For those in our life groups or those who serve in ministry with us. For those in our church or those in our family or extended family. We pray for them that what? That they would abound in love and, and that their hearts would be blameless in holiness. Let me, 
let me ask you to pray for me. One of the greatest gifts you can give your pastor is simply by praying in line with the Scripture. Will you pray for me? Will you pray that I would increase and abound in love? Would you pray that I would be more loving tomorrow than I am today, more loving to my family, more loving to my church, more loving to my neighbors? And would you pray for my holiness? This is, this is the, the best way we can pray. I know we're talking about prayer. I know I'm preaching about prayer. And, and the trap always happens to us preacher types is, is we preach on prayer, but we, we don't get to the prayer part. And, and so here's what we're going to do right now. In, in just a few moments, Stephen's going to continue to lead the, the worship service. And I'm going to give him uh, however much time he thinks is appropriate to allow you to pray. To, to pray. I, I'm going to pray for you first. If I were here in person with you right now, I would, I would let you pray and then I would close in prayer. But, but, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And, and then when I say I, amen, I want you to take a few moments and, and, and to have some of the best prayer you've ever had. Will you take a few moments to, to pray for God's sovereign way and to pray for God's sanctifying work? Will you pray for yourself to grow in love and to grow in holiness? Will you pray for all of those that can come to your mind that they would grow in love and grow in holiness? And then after the appropriate amount of time, then, then we'll lift our voices together and continue to worship. And pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the technology that allows uh, this moment to happen. As much as I miss being with my church family, I'm so thankful that, that we can still consider your word, that we can still consider your ways and your truth. And Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would be working powerfully in our hearts and minds as we recognize your sovereign way, first and foremost. God, we have desires of our hearts, just like Paul desired to see those in Thessalonica. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to take whatever desires we have and hold them up against the Scripture. And anything that does not seem to match with the Scripture, Father, I pray that you would allow us to just leave it behind. And anything that seems to match with your will in the Scripture, Father, help us to, to come to you genuinely and sincerely, asking for you to accomplish what only you can accomplish. Father, today we pray for your sovereign way in our lives. And along with that, Heavenly Father, we come to you and, and we also pray for your sanctifying work in our lives. Father, I thank you that we are, we are positioned in Christ, in the heavenly places. Father, we thank you that right now when you look at anyone who is trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, you don't see our sin or our blemish. You don't see our 
pettiness. You don't see our, our squabbles. You don't see our greed or our lust or our anger. You see the perfect righteousness of your son, Jesus. And we praise you for that. But in that, Lord, we, we pray for your sanctifying work that you would, you would establish our hearts as blameless in holiness that you would little by little work out all of the sin and all of the selfishness so that we become more and more like Jesus with, with great desires to serve you faithfully in holiness. And God, I pray that the result would be that we abound and we increase in love. Father, I, I pray for Valley in particular. I pray that we would be known as a people that are some of the most loving around. I pray that there would not be one person that comes to one of our services that does not sense the care and the concern and the genuine love that, that you have already placed in our hearts as believers in Christ. And God, now as we, as we transition into a moment where we pray individually, I pray that your spirit would be working in each of us. Lord, we come to you thankful for Christ and eager to grow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.